0: Recovery Elevator, episode 386.
1: So I recreated chaos with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that's when it really all started to spiral because I started using alcohol as a coping mechanism. Uh, like
2: this. Yeah, that should work. Mix down.
0: <laughs> yeah, keep going.
2: Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Weeki, weeki three. Mix down. <laughs> there we go seven eight wiki wiki mix down
0: Pie's in the house. <laughs> i
2: love it wiki wiki mix down there we go three four
0: wiki, wiki. welcome to the recovery elevator podcast my name is paul churchill thank you so much for joining us today on today's episode we have shad he's 46 years old from indiana he took his last drink on march 19th 2021 great job shad listeners if you're wondering what the heck cafe re is all about We've got a Café RE open house chat this Saturday, July 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern, where you can learn all about Café RE on a Zoom call. If turning your camera on is too far outside your comfort zone, no problem, you can join with your camera off. Listeners, in a nutshell, Café RE is our private online community with over 1,300 members across the globe. Most of them are in America. The bulk of the dialogue in Café RE takes place in one of our four private Facebook groups. But we also have around 50 to 60 chats per month. We got book club, movie club, you can get paired with an accountability partner, and you can attend in-person cafe RE meetups. In addition, you get a discount to all sober travel trips and official RE retreats. If you'd like to join the open house this Saturday, the link is in the show notes with your information of how to join. Thank you, Liz. And now let's hear from Exact Nature.
3: Exact Nature's all natural CBD based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery. Recently, I've been taking Exact Nature's Z's pills and sleeping so well. These products are 100% THC free and they can be a great tool for your recovery. Learn more at exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com.
0: Okay, let's get started. Let's talk about the one mistake people make when quitting drinking. Now, listeners, I'll admit the podcast title today falls a little bit into the clickbait category, but I like it. And even though you've heard me say on this podcast probably every episode, there's no right or wrong way to quit drinking, please don't make this mistake when quitting drinking. Now, this is a mistake that almost everyone makes, including myself. I did it for nearly 2.5 years. And I do want to put some framework around the word mistake. Yes, it's for show and catchy title purposes, but it's something most of us need to experience first to know that pathway isn't working. So is it a mistake or just part of the journey? You get the point. So here we go. The one mistake people make when quitting drinking is they just quit drinking. Another way to say that is, people recognize they have a drinking problem, are addicted to alcohol, and all they do is quit drinking. The term for this in the 12-step rooms is a dry drunk. And what I mean is this, you quit drinking and then your plan, your program, your recovery consists of nothing else than you staying away from alcohol. This is you coming at it from a stance of sacrifice. You say no to drinks when offered. You either concoct a story about how you're training for a marathon or you say you don't drink. Few ships, if any, are burned, and you're running off the finite sobriety fuel called willpower, which works, until life throws you a 100-mile-per-hour Randy Johnson fastball. When this happens, you don't have much to rely upon, or there aren't any tools in the toolbox. Simply quitting drinking is a mistake because you don't learn healthier coping strategies. You don't gain the insight of why you're drinking in the first place, and you don't develop an alcohol-free community. You're also not learning how to process energy, how to discharge energy, and it, it all just ends up getting stored in the body. In my opinion, those are great reasons why you don't want to make this mistake. However, the biggest reason why you don't want to make this mistake is because you end up selling yourself short. And here's what I mean. You, the listener, punched a ticket to this club where the entry requirement is pain. of listeners with a drinking problem have said to themselves, fuck, I can't do this anymore, or I can't go on living like this anymore. Some of us have fiery rock-bottom moments. With others, it's a culmination of failed internal promises, hangovers, shame, and guilt. There's an incredible amount of camaraderie that comes with quitting drinking when you quit drinking with other people. Now, I feel this is the true mistake people make when they quit drinking, They sell themselves short on what a life without alcohol can be when they do it alone. Listeners, in 2010, I quit drinking for nearly two and a half years. All I did was stay away from alcohol. Towards the end of that streak, it was painful. It was so lonely. I was so lonely. And then I drank. So eventually, as most of us do, I realized I had to do more than just quitting drinking. And this podcast, which launched on February 25th, 2015, was part of that plan. Stop selling yourself short. Say yes to as many recovery opportunities as you can. Books, podcasts, quitlet, retreats, spiritual teachers, music, chats, meetings, that list goes on and on. And yes, some of it is work, especially at the beginning, but these investments of time into yourself will pay off huge in the future. We're all somewhat versed in investment terminology, stock market, bonds, yields, returns, blah. In terms of investments, you investing time into yourself and your recovery will be the most impactful investment you will ever make. So stop selling yourself short. Now, I don't know what that will mean for you, but here's a quick story of a powerful alcohol-free moment for me. At our 2019 retreat in Bozeman, Montana, I participated in the Breathwork workshop led by a gentleman named Brittick. During the session, I kept seeing an image of myself and my dog sitting on a blanket on a hill watching the sun go down. The sun was about 15 minutes from setting. There was a slight breeze, and the grass of late August had a golden flare to it. I was sitting on a green checkered blanket, tan shorts, white shirt, and a backwards hat. In the image, where I was viewing myself from behind, my dog Ben was seated on the right side of me. For most of the breathwork session, this is what I saw. I loved it. It was pure peace, but the magic came a week or so after when I went to see a sunset with my dog. While sitting there, something hit me or pinged me. I, I don't really know, but I remember looking up, seeing the sun about 15 minutes from setting. The golden grass swaying back and forth. I looked down and I saw a green checkered blanket. I saw my tan shorts, my white shirt. I removed my backward hat and I see it's the same hat. And at that moment, Ben trots over and sits down to the right of me. Now, my limited human brain tried to put words around this event, but the bigger part of me knew that I had just brushed up against the fringe of how incredible the universe is. The image I saw in Breathwork was the same image I was living roughly 10 days later. I remember my shoulders dropped. I let go of tension in my neck. I became lighter. I felt so much peace. I felt so connected in that moment. And if I'd have stopped drinking and just didn't drink... I would have never experienced that moment. I would have sold myself short. Listeners, I still remember that moment and that sunset. Again, I don't like calling things a mistake. And me being a dry drunk for over two years wasn't a mistake because it drove the point home I had to do more than just quit drinking. And me speaking this intro at this moment is part of that. Thank you very much for listening. I'm still on this alcohol-free journey with you guys. Again, stop selling yourself short. A whole new world, as Aladdin would say, awaits you after the bottle. Maybe it's a deeper love with your spouse, your kids, your family. 100% a deeper love with yourself awaits. Maybe it's a whole new group of friends, a new hobby, a new morning routine, a new musical instrument. Here's a big one, a new perception, a new outlook on life. Maybe you get to know God or your version of God better. Who knows? But don't sell yourself short. Now, speaking of God, and I think we can end this intro on a light note. If you feel confused, if you're feeling stuck or lost, start asking questions. Start asking for guidance. To who? The universe, God, the pine tree in your front yard, whoever. It doesn't really matter. And if you don't get answers, keep asking and demand them. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Chris and Chad.
3: Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Some symptoms of burnout can include lack of motivation, fatigue, irritability, and more. For me, recovery takes a lot of work, and when I try to do too much at once while also trying to just live my life, I step into the zone of burnout. When we get sober, we want to change many things about our lives, and that's inspiring. However... Remember that slow and steady wins the race. If we come out of the gates too intensely, we may burn out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life and how you can best navigate it. My therapist has been instrumental in reminding me that I can do it all, but I can't do it all at the same time. Having her perspective has allowed me to be more accountable to myself. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com elevator. That's betterhelp.com slash elevator.
2: Thank you, Paul, for the intro. And Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Shad. Shad, how the heck are you?
1: I'm doing well, man. I'm doing really good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. It's
2: a nice summer day in North Dakota, so I'm into it. Uh, Can you let listeners know how long you've been sober?
1: Uh, Yeah, my sobriety day is March 20th, 2021. Um, So I only know this because I uh, the 443 days, because on Sundays, I like to do the uh, accountability sobriety date on the Recovery Elevator Instagram page. So uh, the shout out thing for that. So yeah, 443 days today.
2: 443. That's amazing, dude. Nice shout Nice unasked for plugged Recovery Elevator Instagram. Check us out, guys. How do you feel, man? That's amazing. Nice job, dude.
1: I feel really good. I've gained a little bit of unexpected weight during this sugar sugar cravings are, are real from this. Uh, but overall I feel really good. My mental state has probably been the best it's ever been. So it's, it's, it's been really a really nice benefit of this. So yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it a lot. That's awesome,
2: dude. Nice job. And, uh, like I feel you on the, on the sugar and the weight thing. I've, <laughs> I've got a little bit of time away from booze and and it's, it's still, it's something that I work towards and it's, I don't know, I've never had too much ice cream and pissed my pants. So well, <laughs> I, I've got, I, I can work on it. Yeah. Before we get into it, Shad, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, uh, age, married, things like that. And then most importantly, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Right on. Yeah, I'm, I'm 46 years old. I'm from Indiana. I work in the steel industry. I am married. I have five children, three grandchildren, three dogs who think they are my children. And uh, for fun, I, I, I've got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies when it comes to fun. I love to skateboard. Archery and bow hunting is up there in the tops for me. Um, I love to ride my motorcycle. And I love trail running. uh trail running's a big part of my life. So, yeah, that's me. I love being outside.
2: That's awesome, man. You've got just family alone. you've got enough to keep you busy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's, uh, it's it's a good life.
2: That's awesome. I think nature is nature too. It sounds like a lot of your hobbies are like outdoor and, and there's just something there's something different about like in sobriety having those moments outside, don't you think?
1: Yeah, being outside in nature, just being in nature in general has always been, it's been like my church. It's where I've always found a center. It's where I've always felt comfortable. I love being in the mountains. Being above Timberline is my favorite thing in the world because its you have to earn that privilege. You can't just take a car up above Timberline. And it's very beautiful. It's, it's the only thing man hasn't completely screwed up yet. So we, we give it we give it a solid effort, but it's yeah, nature's my that's that's my church. That's where I feel whole and where I feel complete at. I love it out there. And it's worked, you know, tenfold during sobriety. I love it, man. Yeah, I know
2: for me too, it's it just hits a little different when I'm not nursing a hangover or just completely running on self preservation to be able to slow down and take it in.
1: Absolutely. It that seems sounds- to be the only place I can slow down at. Is in nature. I'm I'm pretty high strung most of the other time. And in nature, I can just even trail running it, it I, I seem to find a, a calmer, calmer state, become a little
2: more observational, for sure. All right. Well, cool, man. Again, thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm excited to get to know you a little better. And let's let's do what we came here to do. Can you tell us a little bit about um, let's just start with your early relationship with alcohol. And we'll kind of We'll work forward, let us know how things started, and and yeah, let's get the conversation going.
1: Absolutely. My introductory to alcohol was at a very early age. I come from a family of addicts and alcoholics, and very early in my childhood, I I experienced um, severe child abuse from a stepfather, and that in turn brought my first escape from it, which was a skateboard. I was constantly surrounded by, by drugs and alcohol. Uh, and this isn't like me accusing that of being my problems. Uh, it's just part of, of that story, uh, because I have no hard feelings about the way that I was raised.
2: I think it's, I think it's important just to be, you know, I said observational earlier, but I think it's important just to recognize where some of these feelings come from. Just again, and I love that you said that it's not about blaming, but to, to try to understand where maybe some of our responses to life started.
1: I yeah. Think, I yeah. think
2: that helps. All right.
1: So, yeah, I was, you know, I was taught very early on that, that drugs and alcohol were how you dealt with problems. And when I was a teenager, I moved in with my grandparents and my grandfather, who was basically my father figure and my best friend with, without him, I, I don't think I'd be alive today. But he was also, he also liked to drink. And that's, you know, that's what him and his buddies did when they got together and we're out shooting bows or whatever, having beers. My grandfather liked to have uh, a whiskey and Coke. And I can remember really early on out in the garage, he had a bottle of Crown Royal that he always kept out in the garage for when the guys came over or whatever. I can remember, you know, hey, my gramps drinks this, I'm gonna try this out. And oddly enough, whiskey became my thing. I didn't really drink though until my first marriage. It was my, my ex-wife drank, all of our friends drank, and I would drink a little bit then. You know, I, I didn't have any kind of problem with it at the time. I'd get drunk every now and then, but it wasn't something that I needed. It was just a here and there type of, uh, type of ordeal. Um, and when we split up, we had a pretty ugly divorce. It was, I, I didn't know how not to be a full-time dad. Um, my my children were out of the house, and so I recreated chaos with alcohol, mm-hmm. and that's when it really all started to spiral. Because I started using alcohol as a coping mechanism. I wasn't taught those basic skills as a child, and you know, not knowing how to cope with things is a it's a really big deal. As an adult, uh, it's a big it's a big deal as a child, even more so as an adult. I found that out through therapy later on that was, you know, cause I was battling depression and everything. Yeah. Once I got into the habit of using whiskey and, and moonshine and bourbon as coping mechanisms, that's just where I went. I, I went there pretty hard. Uh, in, in the mid two thousands, I started experiencing a lot of death of, uh, friends and relatives. Yeah. And compounding that with, the divorce and the not having my children around and the depression, I I doubled down on alcohol. And in 2011, when my grandfather passed away, my world kind of fell apart. I, I didn't know what to do. So I tried to drink myself to death for a couple of years. Luckily, that didn't happen by something, you know, some power greater than I understand. During that uh, decade, I didn't, uh, I didn't lose my job, I didn't get any DUIs, I didn't crash my car, I didn't hurt anybody physically uh, or myself. And I have no clue how because I gave it a solid effort on trying to achieve all of those things. So one morning, it was after my my birthday in 2013, we had a camp out and I woke up to an empty gallon of moonshine and a lot of, you know, blacked out, uh, vacant times in that three days that I couldn't remember what happened. And that was my first wake up call that I had a problem. It, it took a year after that before I finally like was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And I stopped for two and a half years. I, I found running during that time. I started running on July 1st, 2013. I was overweight, battling depression. And I just decided to go for a run one day. And something about that run as much as it hurt really resonated and 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 brought me like a moment of peace and i hadn't felt that in a long time so i kept doing that and i kept doing that and i kept doing that
2: that you know that's amazing that you found something to to kind of help you help you through that i wanted to i wanted to rewind just just a little bit to the end of that first marriage and then and then through the the losses that you had Yes, yeah. out, out of curiosity you you know you had mentioned that earlier you know teenage years that you had experimented that Usage was kind of normalized. It was something that you had seen, uh, wow. I'm going to assume it just not a big deal. This is just kind of part of, part of life. Something people do after that, after your, your, uh, the end of your first marriage, did it, was there a progression into that using for using as a coping mechanism or did it, did it come on pretty suddenly or did it take a
1: little time? That wasn't much of a progression. It, it was. I'm addicted to more and I have been since uh, uh, from a very young age. If one good one's good, 10's better with me. So when I figured out that I could numb everything pretty quickly, it was there wasn't much of a progression. It hit hard. Yeah. And uh, pretty much with reckless abandonment. I mean, I I I didn't care about much when it hit. All I care about was just not feeling. I, just did, I, I I couldn't stand the pain.
2: Yeah, I think, I think a lot of our listeners will be able to, to resonate with that. That once we figure out that this this substance that other people might be just using socially or having fun with, but once we figure out that it can be a tool or that it serves a purpose for us, that we just we're full tilt full tilt oh. into it. So yeah, then that. Then with the the passing of your grandfather, I suppose it was just that was an immediate like hey I'm I've got some hurt and here's this thing that works.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I had lost my 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 little brother a few years prior to that to a drug overdose. Oh, man. Um, and you know during the, we were both raised in the same environment. I happened to go live with my grandfather to try to get away from things, and he was he he was really drawn to that outlaw kind of lifestyle uh, where i was trying to escape it and it you know ultimately took him and you know that's those two things right there really really hit me hard and that's that's how i dealt with it I, which i dealt with it by not dealing with it
2: yeah you know? well i'm just i'm incredibly sorry about those losses man they're they're tough especially the i mean a sudden loss of a sibling for i mean for different causes but that's something that i've dealt with and it's same thing when i was when it happened I didn't deal with it and that was never modeled to me and I think society's weird, man people have been dying as long as they've been living, but we still i think even healthy even like mentally healthy people we still we still struggle with it, but in active addiction it's yeah there's this I know what's gonna what's gonna get me through this and it's it can pour a lot of fuel on that addiction if it's already set in,
1: yeah it's it's uh it was a it's a very scary time um looking back on it i mean it was i i don't like i said i don't know how i got through that and um, i don't understand why i'm able to talk to you about it today like i don't i don't know why i'm grateful for it but i i don't know how i'm here
2: well i think there's i don't know there's a reason maybe we won't maybe we won't <laughs> understand it on this side of eternity but I, I think there's a reason that that we're both here um for sure so okay uh let's get back to where we left off uh after yeah. that birthday you said you were you woke up to the empty bottle of moonshine and you're like shit something's got to give and yeah. you had, you had started running and you you were explaining just like kind of the piece that you found in that
1: so let's yeah. just
2: walking forward man
1: Yeah I I I uh I found that there was there was just something beautiful in it and I I found it to be almost meditative like I started running longer distances during this time. And I found that the cadence of my footfalls and the controlled breathing was very meditative to me and it put me in a very relaxed state, even though that I was, you know, ultimately in an experiment of seeing if this would kill me because I still hadn't really dealt with all the depression and the childhood trauma and all that thing. But it was, it was all starting to come into play with dealing with it and running was a big catalyst for, for helping me get to this point. Um, because I knew if like if this little thing could make me feel better, what would happen if I actually like dug into it? Yeah. Kind of thing. So I stopped drinking, in 2014 and like went all in on being healthy. I mean, I, I ate really clean. I started ultra running during this time and, completed a 50 mile run. And I was like, well, that didn't kill me. Let's see what else I can do. So signed up for a hundred mile run. And you know, that didn't, that didn't kill me. And I was like, okay. And then my ego started to come into play again. Right. It's like, well, look, you've got this beat. You're, you got a handle on, you, know, you went through therapy. You're going to handle on your depression. You know, you can, you've ran hundred miles. I did it. You know, I did it another time after that. And I was like, man, I've got this. I got life back on lock. This is good to go. <laughs> And oddly enough, the night before I, my, uh, marriage to my wife, my now wife, I drank again and I broke two and a half years of sobriety because I thought I could, you know, I could handle this now.
2: I got this Those uh, dangerous ass words, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, And I had my first hangover in a long time, the day of my wedding. And I was just like, man, what, what have I done? So I woke up and I went for a run. And I was about two miles into my run and I didn't know whether I was going to puke or poop myself, but <laughs> something bad was about to happen. So, cause I hadn't felt that in a long time. I, and, you know, I, I, got through it, but, uh, yeah, I felt better after that run. And then man, the night of the, the day of the wedding and then at the reception, my wife and I started drinking wine and cause I told her I'd had some drinks the night before and I got drunk again. And it was, it was it's funny looking back on that. We ended up at the, uh, we ended up at a bar, and then we went to a uh, late night taco place uh, to get tacos and burritos in our wedding gear. That was right across the street from the hotel that we uh, we were staying at, by the uh, event center where we had our wedding. But yeah, my my ego got came back into play. It's like, okay, you can handle this. You can you can do this. You mm-hmm. can handle a drink here or there or whatever. And I did that for a did, while.
2: During that two and a half years, did you do anything? Uh, you know, you were running, and that's running 50 milers and 100 milers that's just that's amazing it completely blows my mind i've met a few of you people in recovery and i'm just how in the <laughs> hell is this a thing but You're not wired right <laughs> just for what it's worth i think that that's amazing but you were doing that and just out of curiosity were were you doing anything like recovery related or like to and this is this is not to say i i almost hate to ask a question because i don't want to make people to make the assumption like, well, if you're not doing 12 step, or if you're not doing this or this, it's not the right thing. I'm just, just out of curiosity, were you doing anything to dig into the like recovery side of stuff or was, was the running sufficient over that period of time?
1: Yeah, I, I did. The only thing I did was go to therapy to deal with my depression. Okay. Um, because I didn't think that I had a drinking problem. I mm-hmm. thought I had a depression problem. So I, I didn't, I, I was just white knuckling and abstaining. And, um, you know, the term dry drunk, you know, I was still still having the same behaviors. I just wasn't using alcohol, but I substituted all those miles for alcohol. And uh, I don't think it was a bad thing because it it it's all part of this trip, right? Mm-hmm. But I definitely white knuckle it. And I, it's, it's, I think it's a big reason why whenever I started to drink again without, doing any of that other work that I didn't know I needed to do why it escalated back to a bad point again by 2021.
2: Okay. So let's go back to this. So the weird statement, let's go back to the wedding night. Tell me about your wedding night. Chad. not that part of your wedding night. (laughs) So the, Oh, the other thing I wanted to ask is, so I would imagine that your, that your wife knew that you, that you, that you didn't drink or that you hadn't drank for two and a half years prior to that. Did, did she know you before? Like, did she know drinking Shad? Oh, absolutely. She met me
1: during that, during that part of my life. Okay. I, I honestly don't know why my wife is around me because I tried every reason to run her away. There's no reason for her to be here. Like with me, I, I was not a happy person. I, I wasn't a mean drunk or anything like that. I I just, you couldn't tell me anything to do that I didn't want to do, but I was a handful. I mean, I'm, I'm still a handful, but for whatever reason, she sees something in me that I don't see in myself. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for that because honestly, I don't, without her, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be sober today because she's a, she's a big part of my support system.
2: That's awesome, man. That's amazing grateful that you got her did did she express any concerns or would, was she nervous at all when you when you had let her know that you drank the night before that when you drank the night of or was she just like all right okay
1: no I, I don't if she was nervous she never voiced it but she's also not one to any of my crazy ideas she's never one to discredit them like if I'm if it's something that I believe in she's just like yeah okay I, I got your back regardless of what it is so if i tell her like, hey I, I had some drinks the other night she's looking at it just like i was like all right well you you're not the same person you was when you stopped drinking maybe you you can do this normally um, she never gonna, even questioned it.
2: she's gonna let you yeah. figure it out
1: yeah yeah
2: okay well let's uh let's keep walking forward from from the wedding um What did, what did the behavior look like? You know, did you, did you pick up where you left off? Was it a slow roll back in? It was a very
1: slow. Yeah, it was a very slow roll back in. I was worried. I was worried the day after the wedding because I was like, man, I got drunk two nights in a row and I was like, is this who I am now? Right? Like it really stirred some, some, some bad feelings up in me. And we left on our honeymoon and we went to the mountains and we had uh, at night we'd make some pina coladas and sit in the hot tub. And, and, uh, I didn't really think about it too much then, but when I got home, I really was like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, uh, just start drinking all over again. So I, I was like, I can do this in moderation. And I put down sets of rules for how I could drink. I could only drink if I was happy or if I was with friends in a good environment, uh, could never drink sad. I could not never drink alone. And I would only have two like two was max and that stuff. Mm-hmm. And i held that for a really, really long time. Once I got rid of that though, it fell fast. That whole ego thing <laughs> came yeah. back into play.
2: When when you stuck to those rules, did they like how did that feel internally? Did did you struggle keeping them or did or did you feel okay? Like was, was that obsession present at that time?
1: I I struggled to do it, but I'm a very disciplined person in things that I want to achieve. Mm -hmm. So I held to it regardless of the struggle. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, it, 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 the feeling of wanting the desire to want to continue to drink was there Mm -hmm. because it feels good. Like when you're doing it, you know, when you're doing it, it feels good, but I knew what was on the other side of that. So I, I, for a good while I, I kept that at bay, Yeah, but it didn't stay there.
2: I think that's an important part is there's a, I think there's a lot of us who have had those, those moments where we have, you know, our version of your rules and, and at least for me, like I would convince myself like, all right, I'm meeting the criteria that I've laid out and like on paper, yes, I'm successfully moderating my drinking. However, like internally, like the obsession was as strong as ever. And I was, I would want to drink more or I would. spend time thinking about like, all right, right, I'm going to have a sixer tonight. Do I fire for effect right away and get it in me? Or do I milk this and make it last the whole night? And and that's, I don't know. I think it's, if you're listeners, if you're in, if you're in a spot where you've got, where if these rules sound familiar, I just want to encourage you to be like, all right, does this just work on paper? But like, what does that internal part look like? You know, how, how does that feel? And like, are they really working if we're still living in that obsession? It's just, I think, I think those are, those are questions that I never thought to ask myself, you know, until much, much later down the
1: road. I don't think many of us think about that during the time, because I think we realize that if we're setting those rules and setting those boundaries that we have an issue, but we don't really acknowledge it full till, you know what I mean? We're not really diving into what is this? I just know that I get out of hand. So I have to do this, you know, Mm -hmm.
2: And it, i yeah. think it it's a way of protecting that you know like you talked about earlier like alcohol is a coping mechanism it it works also terrible fucking side effects but <laughs> but but it uh, it does the thing that it it's gonna do and so much worse but we want i think we're protecting that so it's like all right how like how can i how can i preserve this without and that's i, I think that's what the rules are and it's i mean that's addiction it doesn't that's, we're not shitty people it's just that's addiction
1: yeah it, it, it is and I mean i'm I'm in a full-blown addict today i'm I don't consume alcohol but I still have that if one's good 10 is better mentality with, yeah. with, with that with, with my archery equipment with skateboards with musical gear where they like I don't have one of anything <laughs> you know um, yeah. and I, I except for my motorcycle I have one motorcycle yeah. and one truck. But, you know, it's, uh, that's just, it's, it's kind of how I am. I, I can't do anything. In, in normally I can't run one mile. I have to run a bunch of miles. I can't, yeah. it's just how, it's just how I'm wired. And it's this, uh, this journey has been really, uh, letting me see some of that and trying to get a grip on some of that as well. You know yeah. what I mean?
2: Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's keep walking. So you, you've got these rules. How long? How long before you before you let those go? And again, kind of same questions earlier. Like, was it a was it a process, a, a like an escalation, or was there a defining moment where it's like, to hell with this, I'm going all
1: out? Yeah, it was it was fairly gradual during that time of of starting to drink a little bit again, and and really working on myself physically and mentally with the depression stuff. I took a promotion in my at my job and. With that promotion came a lot of stress, which usually does with any job. And it also came with a a very uh, big financial gain. And I started to like purchase high-end bottles of bourbon Mm -hmm. and high-end whiskeys and things like that to put into my my bar when we had guests come over. Like, oh, you know, I'm not going to give you this plastic handled, you know, bottle of Canadian mist or whatever. Like, (laughs) I, I got some good sipping stuff here. So it was a very gradual thing, but it, it got to where I was coming home and having I'd make an old I love old fashioned or loved old fashions, and I'd come home and make myself an old fashioned or I'd make two old fashions. And during that time, where where it was just like kind of gradual, and where it really dumped off, was my middle son, Brennan, who is me at twenty three, got into a motorcycle accident, and he uh, he also has a a problem with alcohol because. I taught him all this stuff, and when he got into that wreck, a lady had pulled out in front of him, and he had T-boned her. And I, I I rushed to the hospital because I got a call at work, and I'm sitting there looking at him, and like he didn't know where he was at. You know, he didn't. He he's very fortunate. He you know was wearing safety gear and everything, but it really started to hit me about man, everything he is is because he just wanted to hang out with his dad during some really troubled times, and I didn't look at it as a bad thing then, I still don't, but he learned some really bad things because he wanted to hang out with his dad at the skate park and at shows and with the guys when we're you know, having camp outs and drinking and all this stuff. And he just, this is just what you do as a guy, right? So I had a hard time really dealing with that. And then that's when I really started drinking heavily again. Like it, it was after that, that I was just like, I fell right back into my old cycle. My wife started to notice it, but didn't really say too much. She's like, I'm just having a couple, you know, I'm just having a couple old fashions at night, or I'm just sipping on some good bourbon. This isn't, this is, this is adult stuff here, right? Like this is, I'm not doing shooters. I'm just sipping on some good bourbon. But yeah, it, when, when it started to fall off the deep end, it, it went pretty fast and for a while.
2: How could it be a problem if it's this fancy thing? And then also, man, like I feel you there's, I think a lot of us have these moments of, you know, I I don't know if shame is the right word where, you know, we talk about looking at your son and you're like, shit, well, is this, how much of this am I responsible for? And if we don't, if we don't know how to look at that stuff, if we can't look at ourselves without judgment or there's like, sometimes it's too much. And there, again, we've taught ourselves that the, Hey, there is a way to not have to feel this shit. It's crazy. I had so many of those, moments too where it's like this this should be a reason for me to put it down but instead I'm 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 gonna hit a little harder because it's uh, I need some more of that I need another dose of not dealing with my shit
1: yeah yeah and you know during this was all during COVID too like whenever he got into his wreck and there's a lot of isolation going on and so you know I couldn't go out anywhere we didn't have my wife has some medical issues so we couldn't like have friends around who weren't protecting themselves this isn't about you know it has anything to do with people's beliefs on COVID or anything it was just a fact she she almost passed away from it so we had to be very selective of who we could have around and yeah so it was like really easy to just knock back bourbon in your house with nobody even knowing it right because I'm still showing up for work I'm still doing my job I'm still doing everything that I should be doing those first few hours of the day weren't always great you know I was still running when I could and doing all this other stuff but yeah, it uh that isolation, it it really took hold. Being in my own thoughts about, you know, the life that I've showed my children, it was hard. It was very hard to deal with.
2: Yeah. I think I think COVID did set the stage again. Was, I agree. It's, this is not political. COVID just set the stage for a, a lot of isolation for people. It 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 normalized it. It gave, you know, if somebody might have been on the fence about isolating, it it I mean, that's a built-in excuse. <laughs> My wife and I use that. I mean, we were sober, but we still use it as a reason to not uh, socially. Is this something we want to do? We'll just knock uh, nah, out COVID.
1: Sorry.
2: <laughs> Can't make it COVID. <laughs> and like, what are people going to say? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's tough. It's, it's, it's tough. Cause in that isolation, I don't know. Th- things have the ability to progress without any sort of check from what would normally be a support group or even those people that are close to us, you know, some of our behaviors could, could escalate and we just kind of look at each other like, well, you know, like you're going through hard time. We're going through hard time. The whole freaking world is on fire right now. So maybe I'll give you a pass, but let's, let's keep walking forward to, to that day in March. Like how did, what did, what did the lead up to that uh, March twenty twenty
1: one look like? So yeah, the uh, for whatever reason, on March 19th, I woke up in one of those "I need more" moods. I went and visited with a friend of mine, and we had Irish coffees that morning. Um, one of my best friends. And midday, I come home with my wife, and and we had a uh, I had a, a, an old fashioned while sitting at home with her. And we had plans to go have fish tacos that night at our um, one of our favorite uh, Irish pubs that we like to go to and and eat at. And during, during Lent, they have fish tacos on Friday and I'm not Catholic, but I love fish tacos. So, uh, we, we go there and, um, they have a, they have a really good bourbon there that I like. And I just started ordering doubles of them. And, and my best friend happened to be there. The one I was drinking with early that morning. And he looked at me and he's like, man, you got that look in your eyes eyes the look that he saw you know 15 20 years ago mm-hmm. and he's like you got that look in your eyes and i'm like, I'm fine i'm having a good time and a music venue down the road my friends were playing a show at and it was the first rock and roll show since covid hit and i've played a lot of shows on that stage and they were playing and i was like i want to go down here and see my friends play some live rock and roll tonight and my wife was like, ah, "I don't really want to do that. Like, I'd rather go home." I was like, "Just drop me off. Go home. Like, I'll find a ride home. It's fine." I'm already pretty hammered at this time, and uh, she's like, "How are you going to get home?" I, was like, I got a phone. I've got technology. Like, it's not <laughs> a big deal. It's on, it's only eight miles away. I'll get home. So I go in there and start, you know, continue that the drinking with the old fashions, and they start playing in that weird little depressed thing in my head, where. I don't have a problem with death as far as on myself. I'm not afraid of it. I've came to terms with it a long time ago. It was a great day. And I like this little thing in my head, it's like today'd be a perfect day to die. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm I'm watching my friends play live rock and roll again. Somebody didn't know what was gonna happen. You know, I I had a a good day with friends and family and I was like, yeah, it would be. And I tried to take myself out on bourbon. Mm -hmm. And I just go up and start ordering tons and tons of bourbon. And I don't know what time span this went through because it's a lot, of, uh, a lot of blacked out parts there. I just remember my wife grabbing me and going, hey, it's time to go home. I didn't even, I thought she was gone. Yeah, I, I guess she had been sitting out in the car for a while. I think she saw where I was heading to that night. And for whatever reason, I was very compliant that night. I don't know why. Um I go okay and I just walked out the door with her. Or so I thought I walked out the door with her. Evidently I paid two bar tabs. I didn't even know I had two bar tabs open. That's, you know, that that's figure that one out.
3: Yeah. Blackouts uh, are weird.
1: I, yeah. Uh why I had two bar tabs open in the same bar I don't know. But I, when we pulled into the garage of our house, I guess I wouldn't get out of the car. I just was passed out in it. She was trying to get me out of the car. Now uh, I woke up um, a few hours later on the couch, still in my coat, still everything else, and ran to the bathroom and started puking up the insides of my feet. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was bad. And uh, I'm laying there. I sh- I probably should have went to the hospital for alcohol poisoning, but I I didn't want to, not out of stubbornness, but because I wanted to feel every ounce of what I did to myself. And... I was laying there on the floor and there was a line from uh, some friends of mine, uh, a band called seven degrees from center that I used to play a lot of shows with. There's a line in the song that says the next breath, the next breath you take is the one that keeps you alive. Wow. And that kept going through my head to just breathe. Don't forget to breathe. Cause I didn't know if I was going to come off that bathroom floor. And I told my wife to put our dogs up because I wasn't going to be able to watch them while she had to go to work. And I laid there on that floor most of the day. Uh, She comes home that night and I walked into the dining room and I go, I tried to kill myself last night on bourbon. And she started chuckling, thinking I just drank too much. And I go, I'm not joking. I tried to kill myself on bourbon last night. And she looked at me and she goes, Do you think you should talk to somebody about that? I said, Probably so. And she's like, All right. Let's get you some help. And she's like, from you know, just no judgment, nothing, yeah. just 100% supportive. And she knows that I have a lot—not a lot—I have some really good friends in the sober community, <clears throat> from either trail running or from wherever. Yeah. So, I started reaching out, and because evidently I didn't know how to do this sober life, and I had to had to drop, you know, my own ego, and. And go. I need help with this, and so I, I I reached out to some some really good friends, and they weren't all local. I mean, one of my one of my favorite people, and and women in this world lives out in California. That's you know across the country from me. Yeah, and I love her to death, and she's been a very pivotal part of 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 my sobriety and a great friend for almost twenty years. One of my close running friends has been sober for uh, since she's I think eighteen or nineteen years old. And, you know, she she put me in touch with some AA stuff and some other running people who chair A's. you know, I, I just these people, none of them judged me for what I did. They knew that I was sober once. Yeah. They knew that I, you know, fell back off. And, and, you know, just like when I woke up somehow next to that empty bottle of or empty jug of moonshine, I, I was there in a very short amount of time back in that same spot. Didn't judge me, didn't do anything. They just supported me. It's like here, man we've got some tools for you. Like we got a support group. We got all these things. So yeah, man, I I just, I jumped, I got, uh, made some, made some calls and was willing to do some stuff that I wouldn't do because where I come from sobriety, isn't a choice. Sobriety is court mandated, Yeah, (laughs) right? You don't quit drugs and alcohol by choice. It's because you've been in so much trouble. The court demands that you do these things. Mm -hmm. So there was some weird stigma with that with me and, uh, I come to find out that there are people who do it by choice and that it's not court ordered and they just want to get their shit together. So very helpful.
2: I just want to say like, I'm glad, like, again, like I'm grateful. I'm grateful for your wife and I'm grateful that you had her. um, I think that says something about your relationship that you're able to like, that you were even, even able to tell her that, that, I mean, that's, it's a hard freaking thing to wrap your head around and then to be able to express that to someone and just huge kudos to her for, for being the type of person who's not going to be like, what? I mean, there's a lot of folks who would fly off the handle. And that's, I, you know, I don't say that out of judgment, but it's just, I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to hear from someone that you love, but to be able to create that space to where, you know, to where you could start a conversation. Well, what do we do? How do we get you some help? And then, you know, I'm glad that you've also that you had some, sober people in your life or people in recovery to reach out to. I think a lot of us don't know what recovery can look like. There's so many, like, I mean, you said it, you said the word, man, stigma. There's so much of, it's going to be, it's going to be a loss. It's a a lot, you know, for me, it was a fear of losing this thing that, that makes me sane or helps keep me sane again, like not seeing all the bullshit that it did, but um, I don't know. It's, a life of recovery or sobriety was in my eyes this like sad miserable existence of denying myself and i think that it's I, I obviously think it is so much more than that and leaps and bounds better but let's talk talk to me about like what it looked like this time uh as you like as you reached out and started to do some things how did it feel what what did you try what worked
1: oh man it's it's been so much different because I, I'm actually doing different type of work. One of my longtime friends, who was a who was a really good friend to my brother, who who passed away from a drug overdose, who's also uh, you know alcoholic and addict, he was part of a a group called Punks and Recovery. Um, it's a Facebook group, and he was like, "Dude, you're you're one of us." Like you know, the Punks and Recovery groups is is it's not an alcohol based group; it's just anybody who's got any type of addiction, and, it, and it's a very welcoming welcoming place to help people get through. Um, so he brought me into that and became very involved with that. And I was kind of like worried about, you know, everything I do, everything my life's involved around is has alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I was like, how's this going to work? How am I going to be able to be a musician? Like knowing that I can't drink again, because if I drink it, I'll die. Like it's, it's, I've, <laughs> I've put it to that point yeah. quite a few times. So how, how can I do this? you know the family of musicians that i surround myself with so supportive all the cats that are in my archery and bow hunting circle super supportive even though they drink they're like oh, we'll be at, at at shoots and stuff like that and you know they're like man you know you, you really inspired me to maybe try to do something like that and you know it's it's it, the the trail running community super supportive and there's a lot of alcohol involved in trail running it's trail running's a very punk rock side of running <laughs> um, it's it's kind of like the outcast people of running, man. And uh even that's like, you know, everybody's just so damn supportive, the skateboarding community, everything, super supportive. And it's not what I thought it would be, mm-hmm. but I also have to do the work. So doing that and and involving myself into different avenues of of sobriety. Like I, I do ACA work, I, I go to AA meetings, I do just regular sobriety meetings I do free sobriety meetings like I don't just let myself be a part of one thing because I think there's a lot of good to come from everything if you're willing to open your mind up to it and accept it yeah so and without people you know showing me these avenues I, I wouldn't have known anything about it and they're just like hey man come to this meeting check this out you might dig something on here or whatever and I just open myself up to it I mean I've, I've never even though I was grew up Southern Baptist because of my grandfather, I have a very big issue with organized religion. And and for the first time, I've been like, man, I kind of want to go to one of those, you know, tent revivals just to see what it's like <laughs> again. You know, not that I'm looking for anything, but I'm so open to like everything now yeah. uh, that that jadedness of of where I once was, which was part of my problem um, is is. It's not as prevalent now as it once was. So it's, it's really, really, it's a really crazy place to be in. I've never experienced life like this.
2: I love that, man. There's like, you dropped a lot of gold there. I think we, we don't have to lose the things that we love in recovery or sobriety. Like we can still, you know, we can still do our hobbies. We can still go do those things. Like we don't, we don't we don't have to to lose them and there and there's ways that we can embrace this this life and you said it like doing the work and and what does that look like i think it's different for everybody but there's so we live in we live in a good we, we live in a good time and covid as big of a freaking turd as covid was i think it has opened so many doors it has lowered the bar for entry for people to experience different things in sobriety the like the amount and types of meetings that a person can get into just to, to find support. And I love that. I, uh, um, you know, Paul used to talk about having this like recovery portfolio where it wasn't just, you know, traditional 12 step. There's, you know, there's recovery Dharma. There's, I mean, there's, there's tons of stuff out there for sure. Uh, and it's, it's so accessible. and Yeah. And then to find your community, the punks recovery thing, that sounds amazing, man, to find that, that group of people to, to be able to support you and lift you up. Uh, that's amazing, man.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a wild ride, man. It's been, it's not always great. I mean, if anybody says that there's not struggle in sobriety or there's not ugly parts to it, I, I think they're full of shit because <laughs> it's, it's really hard to sit with your own stuff whenever you don't have that instant coping mechanism of grabbing a drink, right? Like when you have to sit through it and work through it, you know, like a, a responsible person would do. It's yeah. not easy. It's not easy to un- to unlearn decades of behavior, but it's possible. And, you know, I, I, I look at it like the first time I wanted to tackle hundred miles, man. Like it wasn't, I didn't know that, I didn't know that was ever possible. Right? right. And it hurts and it gets ugly, but my God, is it so beautiful on the backside of that? And it's, there's, there's nothing about going through struggle that isn't beautiful on the yeah. backside. We're designed to do hard shit. If mm-hmm. we just understand that
2: life is still going to come at us, but we can, you know, we can find a way to get through it without, without setting our entire world on fire. You know, uh, you're right. You know, it's not, it's not always easy. It's like, sometimes this shit's hard, but you know what? Like okay. we can do it. We absolutely can do it. Shad, this hour screamed by, so we are at the rapid fire round, man, where the hell did that time go?
1: <laughs> it's been a good conversation man i've really enjoyed
2: it yeah likewise all right dude so let's dip into this uh rapid fire round in 30 to 60 seconds uh answer these questions uh, number one what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking
1: acceptance of sobriety
2: yeah it's tough that's how it, it can be a hard thing to wrap your head around for sure yeah uh, What is, number two, what is a positive that you didn't expect in your life without alcohol?
1: To be able to handle with grace my children having problems with alcohol.
2: Yeah, what a blessing, man. Uh, Number three, what is your go-to alcohol-free drink?
1: (laughs) Coffee, water, and I love uh, a good non-alcoholic beer. (laughs)
2: <laughs> do you have something you recommend? What do you What do you get into?
1: Oh man, I, it just depends on the time. I, I, my old beer fridge is now a uh, na beer fridge, so it's stocked full of different stuff depending on my mood and what friends come over and things. I, I don't have any alcohol in the house, but I have some non-alcoholic alternatives. So it just depends. When it's cold, I like it. I like a good coffee or oatmeal stout and. When it's hot out i like a sour so i mean it's uh just depends so but i I did athletic brewing company well-being groovy um bravas bravas uh their blood orange ipa is probably my new favorite so but yeah there's a there's a lot of good uh non-alcoholic alternatives out there
2: yeah there is and and look We'll just slip in this little caveat here. I know that for some people that could be a trigger, and I just want to say, you know, this is that's a it's a personal choice. So if it's not your thing, that's okay. But if you're looking for something different, there's again, there's a lot of there's a lot of options out there. I didn't touch a shit for probably two years, but. Uh, you know, I don't drink a lot of them now, but I'm, I'm on a well being kick right now. I just drop about 60 bucks at a crack and it's, <laughs> it's crazy. They last way, way longer than the shit beer that I used to drink. Did got off on a thing there. All right. I'm going to slip this one in here. This isn't on my list, but, uh, you know, you mentioned your puncture recovery group. Um, can you tell us about a time that, uh, community has showed up for you in your, in your recovery?
1: Absolutely. There, I, I was, I'm i going through a, another job transition uh, in the steel industry and with that came a lot of uneasiness and um, worry of the future and you know just reaching out to those cats like I was just in, embraced was like hey man this is this is just a little step you've been through a lot of steps like this is just a little step and uh it's 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 it was pretty amazing of the support that sometimes strangers, sometimes not strangers. I mean, puncture recovery. We got people all over the all over the world in, in this group. I mean, and uh, it's it's pretty cool to have that network of just people who can who I can call, and, you know, I can Facetime, I can email, whatever, and you know they're there. And it's I haven't had to do a lot of uh, go through a lot of major turmoil yet while being sober so that was like the first big thing that had hit me and to get through it without without using has been has been really cool so
2: that's awesome man Uh, what part of piece of guidance can you give our listeners who are in recovery or thinking about getting sober
1: man just keep coming back just come back talk to people go to meetings it's scary uh, but it's it's good it's good so just keep coming back
2: like it man And last, but certainly not least, uh, can you give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze if line?
1: (laughs) I don't know if I have a line, but there's a a short story. Uh, My friend who uh, used to be a bar owner here, where I live at, um, it was my my favorite bar to play music at. I went in there one night and told him I was gonna drink him out of whiskey and he said you can try and there's a picture of me passed on the sidewalk outside of the beer outside of the bar outside of beer, outside of the bar and uh so yeah if you think you can drink a bar out of whiskey you may need to ditch the booze i need to get
2: rid of it yeah oh man Chad, i appreciate your time dude i think you're gonna help a lot of people today i uh, appreciate your vulnerability and uh thanks for coming on the show
1: I appreciate you uh, letting me share, man. It's been a good time. It's been a great conversation. All right, brother. Be well. You too.
2: Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Shad, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. Well, Ari, this episode is coming out one week after the 4th of July. Here in the States, that means barbecues, camping, boating, parties, and of course, people drinking. Quick shout out to my neighbors for not burning my house down. You guys are the best. These occasions are an opportunity for us. No matter how the holiday, or any event for that matter, played out, we can use it for growth. I like to try to take a look back and ask myself how it went. What was my goal? What went well? What could have gone better? Did I have a plan? Did the plan work? Moving forward, what tools can I hold on to, and which ones can I switch up a bit? When I'm doing this, it's really important to do it without judgment. If you met those goals, nice job. Remember those tools, keep refining them. Use this fuel to keep you going. Chances are some folks didn't make it as planned. So what do we do with that? Again, try to take a look back without judgment. I'm proud of you for trying. The same questions apply. What went well? What could have gone better? What can I do different next time? If we're learning, it's not for nothing. It doesn't do me any good to beat the hell out of myself either. Shame has no place here. If I need some help moving beyond that feeling, I can focus on positive affirmations, gratitude, and doing the next right thing. You're working on this. You're trying new things. Your willingness to make a change is creating a new awareness that's guiding you in the direction you want to go. This is a good thing. And when all else fails, we can do the right thing with the situation that's right in front of us. Growth takes time. Let it do its work. You're doing a great job. You're the only one that can do this, Ari, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.